Welcome to the One Away Show, presented by BW Missions. I am Brian Wish, and I am your host, and thanks so much for being here. On this show, I sit down with compelling entrepreneurs, authors, and rising leaders to talk through their most transformative relationships, experiences, and epiphanies. Curated with entrepreneurial leaders in mind, we'll dig into these finite moments in people's lives and understand how they helped set their path forward. Michael Roderick is the CEO of Small Pond Enterprises, a company that helps thoughtful givers become thought leaders by making their brands referable, their messages memorable, and their ideas unforgettable. Through Small Pond, Michael helps coaches and consultants create referable brands, leading to more speaking opportunities, better clients, and more influence. Michael began his career as a high school English teacher before producing theatrical productions off-Broadway and later on Broadway. This combination of experience in the arts and entrepreneurship led to Michael starting an arts incubator program to teach more artists about building and growing their businesses. Eventually, he decided to develop a workshop on networking, which grew into the full-time consulting practice that became Small Pond Enterprises. Michael, welcome to the One Away Show. Thanks very much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely. It's been great getting to know you and just... uh, compassionate serving individual and uh have loved our conversation so let's dive in uh what is uh the one away moment that you want to share with us today i want to share the the moment uh that i decided to leave teaching uh that i decided to step away i was a high school english teacher uh and i had been doing it for i think about eight years or so and uh, I left. I left that profession, sort of, in, uh, in entirely and and relatively quickly. It wasn't like a full on like I quit. I'm walking out kind of scenario. Like I did. Uh, I did take the time to sort of finish out my year, and then I, you know, gave my notice over the summer. The the way that I decided to uh, to to approach it. Um, but yeah, I left. Uh, I, I left teaching entirely. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I'm sure that was uh, a big decision for you. And yes, with a lot of unknowns, crazy kind of departure and what's next and all, all the fields. What? Yeah. Tell us for those that don't know you, how did you get into teaching and what, what inspired you to take that track in the first place? Yeah. So um, my mother uh, was a kindergarten teacher. And, uh, when I was very, very young, probably like five or six, um, she would invite me to come and help her at her classroom. So uh, at the end of the school year, basically whenever it was sort of like, you know, clean up at the end of the, you know, at the end of the school year, kind of, uh, kind of things, I would go to my mom's classroom and I would help her. Uh, and I would see her teach and I would help her clean and I would help her sort of, uh, work with the other teachers. I'd go to other teachers' classrooms and clean up for them. Uh, and I did that from probably age five to probably I was like 10 or, or 12 by the time I stopped going at the end of the, um, at the end of every year, uh, to like help my mom with school. 
you know, um, and in many cases I, I went at the beginning of the year and sort of helped her out. So I had always had a, had an interest in it just from that. Um, but then as time kind of progressed, as I got more into school myself, I noticed that I like really just got along with my teachers. Like <laughs> I was that kid who, you know, if you were on the, if, uh, you were on the field trip, and everybody was sitting with their friends, I'd be the one sitting with the teacher and talking to them about like whatever we were doing next and sort of what was going on. So I was, I always just sort of had this fascination, uh, with, uh, with that world. And it really carried over into, uh, into high school. Uh, and then of course, into college where I ended up studying it. Yeah, no doubt. Well, it's neat that your mom maybe set the stage for you to kind of walk on yourself uh, yeah. And, and maybe let's pay a tribute to her before the show. You told me that she passed away a couple of years to cancer. And yes, um, I know that loss kind of loss is incredibly hard. Um, yeah. As you reflect right on your mother, sounds like a very close person in your life. What yeah. describe her as a teacher, describe some of the life lessons you learned from watching her being in the classroom and absorbing yeah. just her and her element. Yeah. So I think one of the the biggest ones was resilience. Um, you know, I watched my mother deal with everything from kindergartners being kind of horrible, <laughs> you know, to her. Um, she had all these different, you know, all these different stories, but there were, there were kids who were very, very cruel, even at that age. So like uh, when she was pregnant with me, she was handed a picture and it was this little stick figure of this woman with a big belly and then all of this red on the sidewalk. Uh, and, and the kid said to her, no word of a lie, this is your baby. It fell out on the sidewalk. Those were kinds of, uh, I'm, I'm originally from Rhode Island and, uh, she was teaching in downtown Providence, which at the time uh, that she was teaching, there were a lot of challenges of, you know, in downtown Providence. It wasn't always kind of the, the, the place that it currently is. And, you know, the thing that I kind of look back on is, you know, throughout all of that stuff, and, and not only was it, you know, challenges with the kids, but also sometimes challenges with parents and challenges with the different curriculums that started to, you know, come into play and expect a lot from kindergarten teachers that they hadn't really ever learned before, you know, had to do. She would just kind of push through it all, right? Like she dealt with whatever it was and she just continued to do her work and always kept a, a, a good, sort of attitude, you know, about it. And that's something that has always kind of stuck with me is that, you know, is that element of, you know, when things are hard, you have, you have the choice, uh, that you can sort of complain about it and, and, you know, be upset about it, uh, or you can keep moving. Like you can keep doing the work that you, you know, that, that you need to do. And then I'd say the other thing is, you know, my mom was always thinking about who else, you know, needed something, mm -hmm. right? So, like, she would send me to other teachers' classrooms who didn't have a helper at the end of the day, you know what I mean, uh, or, or the end of the year. Um, and she would always just kind of be thinking about others. And I think that's something that has really you know, made an impact on my life. Like, I think I, 
I have a, a sort of natural tendency to look at the world through the eyes of other people to sort of think about, well, what, what does somebody else want? Like, what are other people kind of looking for, you know, could use help with? And I really do think a lot of that comes from my, my time uh, with my mother. That's amazing. Well, sounds like a very, very special woman who taught you so much and yeah. the way I'm sure as a mom, but as a teacher, you know, she's always teaching you, right? Um, yes. So, uh, just a side note on that in a world that at least just called our Western society as I've been thinking about that is so um, at the center, they think they're at the center of their universe. They don't always realize the impact that their actions have on others. And I can't say I'm a saint at that. I think I'm getting better. Uh, but uh, it's neat that you learn that early and you see, and you see how you do that uh, for others because of, you know, the gift she gave you. So thanks yeah. for honoring her in the uh, a very nice way. Thank you. Let's go back to uh, this moment. So you talked about getting into teaching as a result of your mom yep. and you kind of led that path forward. What made you want to get out of teaching? I actually very distinctly remember the the exact moment. I had been thinking about sort of moving on for probably a while before this particular moment, but I, I live in New York City and, and I was on the subway and I was reading this book um, that Seth Godin had put out at the time called Lynchpin. And in this book, he talks about the school system and he basically breaks down this idea that school was built to teach us how to be better factory workers. That was the reason why we were in rows and that was the reasons why we were supposed to sort of like keep our head down and do the work that we needed to do. And like, you know, it was really structured so that we would get out of school and be like, oh, yes, I I totally understand how to keep my head down and follow instructions and do what everybody, you know, asks me to do. Um, so we ended up becoming like really good factory workers. And I remember reading about this and I had this moment because earlier that year I would have administrators and, and other teachers tell me that the only thing that really mattered in terms of my work was how well these kids did on these different standardized tests, right? We were really evaluated by did our classes succeed or fail when it came to these standardized tests. And it sort of gave me this moment where I was just like, you know what? I'm a factory worker, unfortunately. Like, this is not about how do these kids grow. This is about how do we sort of move them through this mill of standardized testing and then get them out the door. And, and then they're stuck. Like they're wherever they are. Like they, you know, they, they never learn anything that's useful to them. They, they only learn sort of how to answer these, you know, questions that in many cases down the line, like very few people are ever going to ask them about. Right. So I sort of had this moment where I was just like, I'm a factory worker and I could, spend the rest of my life in the factory. Like I, I very, like I was a successful teacher. Like I did get those kids through those tests and, and my students love me. And I, I started in the English department as just a, uh, you know, a sophomore English teacher. And by the time I left, I was the head of the English department. I had had administrative roles in summer school. Like I had done a lot. I was a successful teacher in that, you know, in that regard. Uh, but ultimately, ultimately, 
it all came down to like, I was going to do the exact same thing over and over and over again. And it wasn't ever going to change. It wasn't ever going to shift. And when I had that moment, I was just like, I don't want this to be the rest of my life. If it's just this like repeat of just teaching over and over and over again, in many cases, the same exact, you know, the same exact things, what kind of life is that? That just doesn't fit for me. I had always been the type of the type of person who like looked at what's new, what's next, like what types, you know, I'd always been a creative person as a kid, you know? So I was like, when I had that realization, I was like, you know what? There's something else. Like I, I, I have this ability to teach and there are other areas where I could bring this ability. Like there are other things that I could potentially, you know, do with this. So I remember reading that and being like, you know what? I think this is going to be the year. I think this is going to be the year that I move on. And sure enough, that year closed, you know, we, we kind of closed everything down, you know, got to the end of the year. And then over the summer, I, you know, it took a little bit more time to think about it. But once we, once we got towards the end of the summer and it was like, okay, we're going to go back to school. I was like, I'm not going to do it. Just can't. And, uh, put in my, put in my notice. Totally. Yeah. It makes so much sense to kind of look, look at the next 10, 20, 30 years of your life and say, am I just going to repeat this? And like to all the teachers out there who do that, thank you. Uh, yeah. God bless but, you. But, but for <laughs> you, I think, you know, you realize there was maybe that wasn't the area in life you belonged in and that you can have a bigger impact elsewhere. And, you know, you yep. have to go as best for you. And by the way, the book by Seth Godin Lynchpin was so formative for me and colleagues and, it seems like you had a very similar impact on you uh, and your development. Yeah. So I'm, I'm thrilled that uh, Seth's wise words uh, made a difference in your, you know, path. Um, yeah. Let's talk about, so you made the hard decision. You left, you left something you knew. Oh, oh, actually one question before we talk about what, what you did after. How did your mom yeah. take it when you, when you left? She she didn't, she wasn't like upset, but she was definitely worried. She was definitely like, well, what are you going to do now? Yeah. Like what's your, you know, what's your work going to be? How are you going to live? Like, you know, she, she definitely had a lot of questions, you know, about all of that. Um, but she, she was like, you know, well, keep me up to speed. Like, let, let me know how things, you know, how, how things are going. Like she respected, she respected my decision. Like she, she understood, um, but she was certainly worried about what was I going to do now and yeah. what was my life, you know, what was my life going to look like? So, well, on that note, uh, yeah. any mom would be worried, but also like, yeah. with, uh, or at least a good mom, uh, what, uh, yeah. Well, what did you do next? What, how did you think about this transition progression in your life? Yeah. So I had been doing a lot of work in the theater world. Um, and I had sort of, while I was still teaching, I had become pretty well known in sort of the theater, the, the theater space. I was doing a lot of these like smaller productions and I basically had built a little, side business doing what's uh, referred to as general management, where basically like you handle all of the logistics for uh, the smaller shows. So there are these like 99 seat and under kinds of shows that happen in the city. 
And there are people who they don't want to do the paperwork. They don't want to be the producer. They don't want to handle all of the logistical elements of the work. So they're like, I'll hire you to do it. Um, and sometimes they'll hire you for like, you know, a couple thousand bucks or, you know, whatever the scenario was. So I just kind of had to piece together, you know, some general management gigs, uh, during like festival season and those types of things to bring in a little bit of, uh, bring in a little bit of money. Um, but during that time, I had also started to learn a lot about entrepreneurship and, you know, going down the sort of Seth Godin rabbit hole, right. Reading a lot of his books, having this like, Oh, like you can, you can make money from people buying your information and your ideas and your concepts. So, uh, I very distinctly remember saying, okay, well, what's something I could teach people? Like what's something I, you know, uh, I already kind of recognized and I already understood. Uh, and at the time I had gotten my first Broadway credit pretty quickly. So, um, I went from being a high school English teacher to a Broadway producer in under two years. So I had moved very, very quickly sort of through that industry. And I had a lot of people asking me, like, could I teach that kind of networking piece of things? Right. They were like, could you teach me how to build relationships? Can you teach me how to get people to write 40 and 50 and a hundred thousand dollar checks? Like, can you show me sort of how to do all of these things? So I started experimenting with that aspect of being like, yeah, I'll charge you, you know, a hundred bucks and come to this workshop and I'll teach you everything I know. I started to get some business from that and then sort of parse that together with all of the, um, with, with all of the general management stuff that I was doing and doing, raising the money on the Broadway shows and sort of building, you know, all of that. And I became really well known in that whole sort of connector space, right. Where people were like, Oh, you're a great connector. Everybody, you know, wants to know you. I was getting lots of introductions. And while that was happening, I had a friend introduce me to a founder of a startup and, He basically, after our meeting, reached out to me and said, you were in education. This is an educational technology startup. Would you consider coming on and working for this tech company? And I had no tech experience. I knew nothing about sort of that, you know, side of things. But I was like, yeah, I'll I'll give it a shot, you know. So I jumped in and I sort of helped the in the early stages of the building out of that of that company, did some business development work with them and things like that. And uh, during that time, they sent me to a really bad conference. And I got back from this conference and I was just like, wow, people don't talk to each other at conferences. Mm. And there's like a lot of just like non-socialization that happens. And I was so fascinated with relationship building and all those types of things. So I remember very distinctly, we had the end of the day kind of off at, at the, at the startup because it was the end of the school year kind of for the, it was like going into those like vacation times. So like nobody was answering our calls. So I reached out, I sent like 15 emails to my friends and I said, Hey, if I did a conference about connecting, um, would you want to do something with that? Like, would you want to be on a panel? Would you want to have some kind of discussion around it? And all of my friends came back and were like, oh my God, I would totally do this. So in about 35 days from that, uh, cause it was around November, um, it's on, I think it was like mid December. I started the first connector con, which was a conference for connectors, 
where I brought them together from like all different, uh, all different industries and, and sort of all different relationships and similar. I get to the end of that workshop. I, I get to the end of that, that conference. And I had a bunch of people come up to me afterwards and say, like, can you do more of this stuff? Can you teach people more of this stuff? Yeah. Um, I was looking at the tech startup and I was looking at the aspect of like selling software. And I was like, I'm never going to live my life selling software. Like I'm never going to care enough about selling software as I do about relationships. So I put in my notice there and, you know, again, went off on my own to do this whole like entrepreneurial thing. Totally. Wow. I mean, so many different threads here to go back to what you're talking about. You know, it's like you were scrapping together all these different pieces of skills and relationships and expertise. And, you know, it's like, how do you take that and put it all under one roof, right? Your business yep. development. Um, and so like, good for you for leaning into different experiences and like letting those just naturally guide you and maybe being present to the signals and uh, taking on that natural role of a connector. I mean, tribes was a, uh, incredible yep. book, uh, and kind of building your own tribe and helping others build theirs in a way. Right. And so yeah, I have to imagine when you finally were able to maybe take all the skills and then create connector con and put all your skills together, I think in a way that you could do something really magical and special. Why do you think the connectors, who were there and you invited came up to, mm -hmm. if they were already so good at this themselves, mm -hmm. why do you think they came up to you after and said, you should do more of this? And how did you respond? Yeah. I think it came down to, I was teaching this in a very, very different way than a lot of other people had been teaching it. I think that was one element was that I had these frameworks that a lot of people had not necessarily thought as deeply about relationship building as sort of I, as I had at the time. Right. Um, but the other thing that I think really was a major factor in people enjoying that experience was I looked at the fact that when I had gone to a conference, it wasn't a safe space. And I didn't feel like I could go up to anybody and have a conversation. And I didn't feel like people who were on a panel would, you know, talk to me. And like, I didn't feel like I belonged. Ah. And what I did with the conference was I established at the very beginning of the conference that this was a safe space. And that if you decided to be here, you were also agreeing to the fact that you would not shun anybody else who was there, that you would talk to whoever came up to you about whatever, you know, and that you wouldn't get into a click and that if you were somebody who was presenting or sitting on a panel, you would go and sit in on other panels and go and hang out for the day. And you would be there not as a celebrity, but literally as a participant as well. And I think that that aspect of sort of leveling the playing field was one of the major factors that really just like it attracted a lot more connectors because the challenge that connectors often have is people know that they know people and then they start to kind of treat it as like, oh, well, can you introduce me to this famous person or, you know, whatever the scenario is, right? So like it starts to become this 
you know, issue of like, oh my God, if somebody knows who I am or if somebody knows my title, they're going to ask me for a bunch of things. So what I did with the conference was I got rid of that. And I was basically like, you know, when you fill out the application to attend, it's like, here's your name, here's what you could use help with. And that's all that was on your name tag. So you didn't have what your title was. Like you didn't have, so you didn't know if you were going up to somebody who owned a hedge fund or you were going up to somebody who was making drinks later. So there was no dynamic of like, how do I get in front of this person? And even with the panels, you know, it was one of those things where it was like, they weren't acting like a celebrity, right? Like they were just like, yeah, you can talk to me. Even if, even though they had, you know, significant followings and, and interests and, and all sorts of different things. So I think like that was the biggest factor was, you know, it it came down to the thing that I just like, I have a lot of problems with the idea of anybody feeling less than, right? Like I, I hate the concept of being like, well, you're not as successful or you don't know as many people or you don't have this much, you know, all of those types of things. Mm. So I was like, I'm going to get rid of that and just give people the opportunity to be people and connect in that way. And I think that's what attracted folks. So, well, first off, thanks for sharing. Second off, I love uh, how you kind of removed a transaction barrier and letting people be seen at the same time, because the first thought was, Hey, how can I transact value out of this person because of their digital reputation or just because of their clout? Lastly, just because you came on the show, I'm going to ask you to introduce me all the famous people at the conference. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, 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 I'm totally kidding. But I, 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 like, I so get that, right, with relationships. You always have to question, or at least I try to, um, why someone is reaching out or why someone, like what they want. And like you can yep. usually tell when it feels like in your soul or gut, like really genuine. And yeah. then you can kind of, even if something sounds a little genuine, you can always tell if there's something, there's something behind it. And yeah. so I, I re, I've had the experience a few times where it seems pure. And then like six weeks later, I'm like, I was so right. It wasn't, um, yeah. anyway, <laughs> it's what I'm, what I'm getting at. It's so neat that you've created an environment that, allowed people to just show up and be themselves. And then clearly, you know, you said people came to you after and said, let's do it again. Cause they probably felt seen, heard and valued. And they weren't thinking about what does this person want from me? It was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So given that, you know, I think you have deep expertise in what makes people tick in relationships and maybe interpersonal communication, you know, what would you say, you know, to a lot of people who listen to this show are, are younger and a little bit more a bit ambitious and founders or, you know, high achievers, but, you know, maybe they're not, mm-hmm. they don't have the wisdom that, that you have or years of experience, not aging you, I promise. Just, you know, I'd sure. say, what, <laughs> what would you say to someone in their mid twenties about how to go about building a long-term network? It's mm. a great question. So the first thing I'd say is that your impression of yourself is probably wrong when it comes to reaching out to 
higher level and sort of influential people. So a lot of the time what tends to happen is if you're younger and if you're kind of just in the early stages of something, your initial impression and the way that your brain's going to kind of work is to think there's no reason why this other person would have an interest in what I have to offer because they are so accomplished and because they are so successful. And the fact of the matter is most of those people are actually very, very interested in who the future is Mm. because they're not going to be here for a lot of the future. They know it. They understand. They understand that they are at a certain age and that their, you know, science has dictated that they will live a certain amount of time. And after that, they're going to have to figure out what else happens. Right. And they may have kids of their own. They may have, you know, uh, younger uh, connections. They may have younger employees. Like there's all these different elements where like they can learn as much from you as you can learn from them. Mm -hmm. Right. So that would be the first thing is don't get caught up in this dynamic that you don't have value yet because you don't have the experience. It's a very, very dangerous place to be. A very, very dangerous place. Completely. The second thing is what I like to refer to as the tennis novice versus the tennis pro. So if a tennis novice misses a shot, in many cases, the game is over because the tennis novice is now in their head thinking about that shot that they missed, thinking about what's coming at, thinking about how they might lose the game, all of these different types of things. And sure enough, they often lose the game. Often things kind of fall apart for them. And the reason for this is that the tennis novice is a slave to the product. They only see the end result. They only care about the end result. And if they don't get the end result, if they don't win, if they don't have that thing happen, they're crushed. The tennis pro misses a shot and says, okay, missed a shot. What can I learn from this? Where was I standing? Where is the other guy standing? And they'll keep going and they'll go through the game and they'll keep paying attention to what worked and what didn't. They'll be reflective about the whole thing. Even if they lose the game, they will go back and they will watch the game and they will think about it and they will, and they will start to figure things out and they will continue to play. They will continue to be a part of that world. Why? Because they are a student of the process as opposed to a slave, slave to the product. So the mistake that tons of people make when they do that outreach to somebody who impresses them is that they approach it from the tennis novice standpoint. So if that person responds or doesn't respond or says like, hey, kid, you know, stop annoying me or whatever, they're utterly crushed and they're kind of done. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you look at whatever failure you get as new information and you're basically just like tracking and paying attention to sort of figuring things out and you keep doing it, you're going to learn a ton about what works and what doesn't. And you're going to have instances where people do respond to you Mm -hmm. and get back in touch with you and decide to talk to you. But most of the time that we don't do that, like most of the time we don't take 
the the hail mary shot. I call this the extraordinary ask. Right? There's uh, there's a couple of different ways to think about asking, and it spells the word dime. And basically, you have the direct ask, where basically you just sort of go in front of somebody and say, like, "Will you do this thing for me?" And you know, you ask them directly. And that's kind of how we're always taught to ask. But it's kind of the worst way to to ask somebody for something because we're engaging the primitive part of the brain. Like it's like we put ourselves in fight or flight. I'm feeling awkward. You're feeling awkward. It doesn't really work that well. The indirect ask is when we basically say like, here's this thing that I'm trying to accomplish. Do you have any ideas? And what I do is I take your brain out of fight or flight and I bring it up into creativity. I get you starting to think differently about how to solve the problem. And then you feel like a thought partner. You feel like we're working together. So I'm actually more likely to get whatever it is I'm asking for, right? Then there's the mutually beneficial, which is where you take the time to show the other person how they're going to benefit from the experience of whatever it is that you're asking for. So you lay out for them, this is how we're both going to benefit from this. This is why I'm asking you about this. Yes, I'm going to get something, but you're going to get something too. And then the final is the extraordinary. And the extraordinary ask is different from every other ask because the extraordinary ask is the ask that you ask yourself. It's the one ask that is internal, not external. And when you make an extraordinary ask, what you do is you say, who would I reach out to? Who do I want to talk to? Who is my Hail Mary shot? Who I have already assumed would never respond to me. Hmm. And then you make that ask. You reach out. You take that Hail Mary shot. And if you approach it from the tennis novice, stand, uh, from the tennis pro standpoint, as opposed to the tennis novice, If you don't hear back, you don't care. You're on to the next thing that you're working on. You're on to the next way you're thinking about it. If you do hear back, you just created a relationship that is with a higher level person that can become the benchmark for a bunch of your other relationships. So if you're talking about long-term relationships and really building something solid for yourself, you want to get to know people who are at significantly higher levels who can give you the lay of the land. So like, if you're, if you're in your twenties and you're trying to figure out what do I do next? I I used to have this conversation all the time with actors, right? Because actors would tell me, I want to go to Broadway, right? I want to be on Broadway. And my, my question was always the same. Have you ever met a Broadway performer? And very, very few had. And I said, you need to sit down for coffee with a Broadway performer and ask them about their life, and then decide if that's the life that you want. Because it is not the glamour that you see. And that's the thing. We see, we we think we want things. Like, we're like, oh, I want to be a startup founder. I want to be this. I want to be that. But how often do we sit down with somebody who's actually doing it and say, oh, that's everything? Like, do I want all of that? And be honest with ourselves it's much, much easier to sort of sit there and be like, oh, I want to be, I want to be whatever the impression is of, uh, of that person. You, you get, you, you can go to any entrepreneur right now and be like, do you want to be Elon Musk? And they're like, yeah, yeah, I want to be Elon Musk. But my God, I don't, I would not want that amount of attention. I would not want that amount of just like craziness that's happening around me all the time. Like, no, thank you. So I think like, that's the thing is that if you have things that you aspire to 
you really have to have conversations with people who are doing those things to figure out, is that actually what you want to do? So much there. And it's all <laughs> incredible. And just to sum it up, if I we got it all, you're never above or below someone. Make, you know, it it's old the older generation wants to hear from the younger generation, or there's mutual value in any exchange. Make the Hail Mary pass. Go for go for go for it all. Tennis, tennis novice, tennis pro. Mm-hmm. And then if you make the Hail Mary shot, you get in front of the right people, figure out what their life's like. Do you really want it? Right? Yeah. Wow. Some deep expertise, Michael. Um, <laughs> it's like you've done this before or something. So, yeah. so a little let's, bit. Let's, 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 this is what I find to be um, a really interesting question as it relates mm-hmm. to relationships and something I've noticed within myself significantly evolved in the last few years. I'm curious how you'd answer it. So let me give you context and then let me, and then I'll sure. get down to a question. Okay. I used to prepare so much for every call or meeting. Like I was like preparation King. I want like robotic mm-hmm. to a t- like, to a point yep. of like, over preparation. And yep. over the years I've noticed whether it's improv class or working on my presence or getting like therapy stuff. Like I have like, I actually try not to prepare at all mm-hmm. in a way that, allows me to show up and maybe let the most organic and serendipitous process play out. And it's yeah. crazy. Um, and I feel like it's more successful. And I guess my my question to you is, how would you tell someone if they were sitting down from coffee with, coffee with that Broadway performer they wanted to be like, how would you prepare someone or not prepare someone or, or how to have someone think about going into a conversation to make the most out of it if it's someone they've never met before. And I find that question fascinating. So how would you answer it? Yeah, I would say think of the most interesting questions you can ask. Mm. Ask questions that get them to talk. The mistake that most people make when they meet somebody that they admire is that they they take the time to research the person mm. in some cases they take the time to really think about the person but they take next to no time to think about what question they're going to ask yeah you know and and the thing is you can get anything in life that you want if you ask the right questions like 100% so the more thoughtful you are about your questions the more opportunities you're going to create for yourself. People love hearing a question that they haven't heard before. Mm. And you will instantly stand out if you ask a question that they haven't heard before, or you ask it in such a way Mm. that they're like, man, I never thought about it that way. You will just completely blow the person away. And you want to think about like, what is something that you are genuinely curious about in terms of their journey, their world, their pro, you know, their process and pay attention to how do they interact? Like, how do they respond to that question? Mm. Do they lean in and say, Oh my God, that that's a great question. Do they step back and say, Oh man, I really wish you hadn't asked me that. That feels kind of personal and awkward, you know? And like, again, pay attention right? Look at how are people having an experience in the moment? One of the, one of the most powerful tools that we have at our disposal 
that is highly, highly underutilized is active listening. And active listening is when we are fully present with somebody when we're talking to them. We're not in the future. We're not in the past. We're not thinking about what we want to say next. We're not thinking about what we just said. We are just listening to them, paying attention to them, hearing every detail about what it is that they have to say. It is super hard to do because our brains do not want to stay on anything for one for, for a very long period of time. We want to jump off to whatever the next thing is. But if you hone your skills of active listening, you will ask better questions. I guarantee you, because most people miss the nuance. Most people miss the details. And it's the nuance and the details that make for the best questions. Well said all around. Couldn't agree more. Even if you don't prep a ton, still think about the things that can be interesting to somebody else and things you can learn mm -hmm. from. And uh, yeah, it takes, takes uh, I love what you said too about active listening and the nuances and details, because you're right. When you dig into those things, you can draw out things that you never thought you could. And maybe they're sharing things for the first time they never thought they would too. So um, well said, Mike, we have a couple Thanks. minutes left here. I want to do a couple uh, hot seat questions, rapid fire. Sure. Uh, mm -hmm. and then we're going to, we're going to close out and we're going to tell people where to find you and give you a little snippet of, you know, share what you do today. How do you want to be remembered by your daughters? What do you want them to say about you when you're gone? It's daughters, right? Yes. I've got, yeah, I've got two daughters. Yeah. Um, I want them to feel, um, that I was always there for them. No matter how busy I got, no matter what happened, no matter what work came through, I was always there for them. Mm. Amazing. You, your mom is watching over you today. What, yes. do you think, what do you think she'd say about your journey since she left the physical world? My mom was always one to say that she was proud whenever anything that I worked on, like she came and saw my first play when I put my first play up in New York and, and all those things. So I would, I would like to believe uh, she would say that she was proud of me. Love it. What's one thing, it's like a burning desire of yours, maybe internally that you haven't explored yet that you've always wanted to? It's interesting. I have always had a uh, interest in writing a book. Um, and I am in the midst right now of developing a proposal, uh, you know, for that, you know, for that purpose, but it's been a long time thing where I've always kind of thought about it. I've had people talk to me about it, but I've never actually done it. Um, so, so yeah, I think that would be the thing that falls into that category. Awesome. I'm excited for you and your journey. Uh, thanks. thanks for all the incredible expertise you share with us today. I would love for you to share one, where to find you a little background on what you do. I know we didn't touch on maybe your everything sure. you do in your career today, but, uh, yeah. go for the blurb yourself and where, where people can, uh, find yeah. you. Sure. Um, so the work that I do these days is I help thoughtful givers become thought leaders. So a lot of my work is around the messaging component of things. I basically help entrepreneurs who are trying to get their ideas out there in a bigger way. I help them figure out how do they make those ideas referable and sort of get their, uh, get their stuff out there. Um, and you can find me, I'm just at smallpondenterprises.com is, uh, is my company. Um, uh, and I also have a podcast 
podcast uh, that you can check out called access to anyone podcast.com uh, where I ask a lot of these types of relationship oriented questions and, uh, and things like that. And then I'm pretty much all over the socials. So, you know, you can always uh, ping me at any time and always happy to say hello. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. So enjoyed it. Thanks for the, the vulnerability, the, the personal stories, the expertise. It was, it was a delight. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. If you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, I hope you leave a review on the platform of your choice and share it with a friend who you think would find it valuable. If you'd like to receive our written newsletter and thought leadership, head on over to bwmissions.com backslash newsletter and subscribe. See you on the next show.